0: and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host, Ron Beard, is coming up next.
1: Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities, to share what works and to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns began in 1993 with support from University of Maine Cooperative Extension. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be a benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Well, the Allagash Wilderness Waterway in northern Maine celebrated its 50th birthday in 2016. Looking at the status and the future of this important resource, the Allegash Wilderness Waterway Foundation and the Maine Department of Conservation commissioned a study of the natural, historic, and cultural resources of the waterway leading towards a new interpretive plan. And I'm so happy to have some guests in the studio who can help us with that um, plan, to understand that plan. Um, welcome to Bruce Jacobson, who's actually the author of, of the report. Good morning. Glad to have you with us, Bruce. Uh, Don Hudson is a board member for the Allegash Wilderness Waterway Foundation, welcome to you Don. Good morning, Ron. And Cindy Basty is with the Bureau of Public Lands in the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation and Forestry. Welcome to you, Cindy.
2: Thank you. Good morning.
1: Well, perhaps each of you could say a little bit about um your your own backgrounds um and then your connection to um the Allegash. What what's what's been your your connection to it? Don, start with you.
3: Uh well, as a as a young man, I paddled the river for the first time I think in 1972. Uh, I spent my career in environmental education, retired about eight years ago. Uh, a couple of years before I retired, I was asked by Governor Baldacci to participate in a working group um, to better understand uh, how the state could manage the resource of the Allegash Wilderness Waterway. And out of that uh, working group came uh, two important things, the creation of the Allegash Wilderness Waterway Advisory Council, uh, which is still in place and functioning very well. And the idea to start, um, well, for lack of a better way to put it, a friends group for mm, the waterway. Mm, yep. And uh, we chose the name Allegash Wilderness Waterway Foundation in part because uh, we don't uh, need to be developing programs ourselves. We understand that our key role is really in helping to to um, add value to the state's management mm. by finding financial resources in particular um, to help uh,
1: complete projects uh, such as this one that's envisioned. Mm. So we'll come back and talk about the history of the waterway and how it came to be. Uh, Cindy, how about your own background in the Bureau of Public Lands and, and your connection to the Allagash?
2: Sure. I, um, I was uh, a staff member at the Bureau of, of Parks and Lands until 2008, when I retired and went on to do some private work, um, most recently I've been hired back at the, at the Bureau of Parks and Lands on a temporary basis to do a number of projects, one of which was act as a liaison between the foundation, its contractor, and the Bureau while this uh, project was going on. I will say at this point that um, the Bureau expresses extreme gratitude to mm-hmm. the foundation um, for this project because it's work that's been recommended in our plans for years. And now as a result of the foundation's investment, um, we've been able to move ahead with some very serious work for mm-hmm. the waterway. So I certainly thank them right, very great. much.
1: And Bruce, how about your own background and your connection to this work? So I've been
4: involved in uh, conservation uh, with both nonprofit and government agencies, uh, for a long time, um, including uh, Maine Audubon, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, the National Park Service. And um, around 2013, I left government service and uh, continued some consulting work. Um, and so I've been working uh, uh, on this project as a consultant to the Waterway Foundation on behalf of the Foundation and uh, the Bureau of Parks and
1: Public Lands. Mm. So, uh, Don, perhaps you could give us some background on the history of the waterway. Um, The Allagash River has flowed for millennia, but um, as a waterway that's got some management, um, tell us a little bit about how that came to be.
3: Uh, Well, uh, I think one of the more important and interesting events in the history is actually a couple of centuries back Mm in 1840 when when part of the water which would have uh, flowed north uh, into the St. John River, was diverted to flow south into the Penobscot River in order to bring long logs uh, to mills in Bangor, as opposed to having them milled in Canada. Right. So we've been arguing with Canadians over wood for a long time. (laughs) The waterway was created, uh, uh, the idea for it goes back probably to the late 50s, Uh, It was actually created uh, with legislation in May of 1966 and then through a referendum that raised uh, money, a million and a half dollars at the time, no small amount Mm. in 1966, November of 1966. uh, Money was raised um, to actually make it happen Mm. and to create Mm. the waterway. That money was matched by federal funds, so a total of $3 million was put together in order to create uh, what I like to think of as one of the uh, jewels in the crown of Maine's public parks. Mm. And a few years later, um, 1970, the waterway became one of the first wild and scenic rivers in the nation to be Uh, to have that federal designation yet to be managed by the state, the majority of wild and scenic rivers in the nation are managed by the National Park Service. So a special arrangement uh, was allowed um, with the efforts of Ed Muskie and others um, so that the waterway could um, be managed within the state park system uh, by the Bureau. Uh, and and yet carry that federal designation.
1: Mm. That's 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 it in a nutshell. Sure. And 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 as you point out, um, the Allagash has been used um, by Native Americans and and by um, folks from European settlement for a long time. And what was happening in the, in the the waterway area um, just prior to designation? It was used as a recreational resource as well as a.
3: Oh a, yes, yeah. yes. It was. I, I remember when I was a young man. I, I used to uh, help teach at, at Chewankee the junior main guide hmm. uh, testing program so that campers would be ready to take that test which is overseen by uh, main camps and and uh, the Department of Midland Fisheries and Wildlife and I met a man, Hank Small, who was an early ranger on the uh, on the waterway working for uh, a paper company. Hmm. Uh, He was an undergraduate at the University of Maine at the time in 1921. And um, he was one of the people who first brought young people in large numbers. Mm -hmm. He and a friend, Zeke uh, Dwelly, established the St. Croix Voyagers. Mm -hmm. And uh, they brought young people largely from outside the state of Maine. But Mm -hmm. nevertheless, they introduced a lot of young people um, to the Allagash before it became a waterway. Uh, I'm not sure the extent to which uh, they uh, interpreted in the way that we are now talking uh, the resources of the waterway, um, but I do know that there are a lot of people um, uh, in this nation who've mm-hmm. had an Allagash experience as a young person, mm. and um, it's a it's a very special place. And as as i'm sure we'll get to sooner than later um it, it's uh it's history and
1: both its human and cultural and natural resources are rich and deep mm. and Cindy what's the kind of the present status if you you will what um how is it managed now um and and uh, what kind of use might might it get uh, who's using the 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 waterway these days
2: uh Let's see. The, the overriding management direction for mm-hmm. the waterway comes from the legislation, from a management plan, from the council's strategic plan, mm-hmm. and from um, an MOU or memorandum with the National Park Service mm-hmm. um, that directs us to attend to our historic features mm. in uh, in particular ways.
1: So there's there's, there's a ranger staff that, that are there um, right. all year round, but mostly in the summertime. We
2: have 13 staff people um, on board, and we have three in the winter that are year round, mm-hmm. and then the total of 13 in the Because the, the waterway gets used in the wintertime. The waterway does get used in the wintertime for um, RV camping. And for ice fishing right. and for snowmobiling, right? Sure, yeah. sure. So, yeah. And
1: our friend Alexander Brown runs sledges across the, the waterway. She doesn't use mechanized um, <laughs> systems, but uh, she uses it in the wintertime. Sure. Um, so, what are some of the challenges that uh, that the bureau faces in trying to to manage that that resource now? What are the things that that you you <laughs> that might keep some of your colleagues up night scratching their head, how are we doing on, on managing the waterway now?
2: well I'm, I think probably some trend changes are are things that people are certainly starting to begin to pay attention to. One is that overall use over a period of time has tended to decline slightly but but in particular, um, the camping use has declined relative to day use which which hmm. seems to be going up hmm. and are our management of the waterway today is largely focused on campers, canoers, mm-hmm. and f- and people fishing or hunting in the mm-hmm. winter, or snowmobiling mm-hmm. in the winter. And yeah, in the winter. So, so, so that's one issue. Um, budgets are always an issue. I mean, we have infrastructure there: roads, buildings, um, communication systems, dams. Um, da- dams. Thank you very <laughs> much. Dams. Yep. Um, That take a beating, Mm. and particularly with the weather that's up there, Mm -hmm. and it's expensive to maintain those things. Mm -hmm. We're involved right now in a rebuild of Lock Dam, which was the what used to be called Chamberlain Dam. was was the original dam that started to shift where water goes, Mm -hmm. whether it goes south or north. Mm. Um, So, so infrastructure expenses Mm -hmm. are significant. We have some historic resources that need some attention Um, some of it is is additional survey work but in the case of existing buildings um, these need to be examined and um, stabilized and uh, put in a proper condition in terms of their historic integrity but but something that will stand the weather up there and use so.
1: so as I recall um, uh, there were a, f- a few conflicts having to do mostly with with access and and uh, um, day use those kinds of things in the 1990s and and you know those were what they were, but they led to the creation of the the council and the foundation don pick a, pick pick that story up there uh,
3: yes the uh, i I would say the the principal issue was access. Mm-hmm. Um, and and
1: the, the in other words the, the access question was some people wanted more access and some right, people wanted to have right. a more limited access it, to preserve a wilderness quality exactly right. and
3: and it's it's in uh, it's in the the mission if you will of both uh, the waterway uh, and the foundation um, to enhance the wilderness character of the Allagash Wilderness Waterway that's that's those are. Almost the words in the legislation. Sure. And so the conflict is over how one interprets the word wilderness mm-hmm. and what is access and and how is access managed. And um, I don't think that the work that we did as part of the governor's working group uh, necessarily puts all of those disagreements to bed. I'm sure it doesn't. Um, yet there were mechanisms created, um, notably, uh, the establishment of the council um, and remind us what the council yeah, is the advisory group for the waterway was a body that had existed for a while had over 30 members uh, close to 36 I think at the high point mm. uh, everybody who came to those meetings had a particular interest that they were bringing to that meeting and the vision that we had as part of the working group process was to create a smaller council with positions of experience and expertise, and not individual organizations, agencies, or other stakeholders, but mm. simply experience. At mm. the time, uh, I was appointed to the first council uh, because of my career in environmental and outdoor education as as a outdoor uh, experienced person
1: in. Uh, but not as a Chihuahue Not position. as a representative of right. Chihuahue.
3: I didn't right. wear that hat. I right. just. Outdoor recreation was yep. the hat I wore, yep. and there was a fisheries person and a planner, and, uh-huh. and uh, our first job was to create the strategic plan. The street strategic plan envisioned storied lands and waters, okay. which is what we're here to talk about. Um, but uh, that it took several years to get the gears moving and to get the organization up to sufficient speed that we could take mm-hmm. on this project. Uh, the, the strategic plan also recommended, it didn't decree, but it recommended that some kind of, of independent outside uh, friends group be established um, to complement what state and federal financial resources could be put into the waterway um, with additional um, financial resources and uh, and ideas. Not It's not always money that sure. we can bring to the sure. table, but we can help solve problems in other ways.
1: Right. And... <clears throat> So that led to the, the idea that you would do an assessment. And Bruce, you've been involved for a number of years at different stages. Tell us a little bit about when you got started and what were some of those early steps.
4: Well, it was about two years ago that was my introduction to the Allagash. Most mm-hmm. of my work has been uh, on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm not, like others in the room, uh, I'm not an old hand mm-hmm. at the Allagash. Instead, um, I was uh, asked to do an interpretive plan to tell the, help tell the stories of the Allagash. And um, it was uh, uh, Don and uh, Bob McIntosh came to me, who was president of the foundation, and said, uh, you know, you're doing consulting work and doing interpretive planning. Uh, Would you consider a a project in the Allagash? And I said, well, yes, that that would be great. (laughs) And they said, we'd like to particularly focus on cultural resources. Um, Cindy mentioned that memorandum with the Park Service that encouraged more attention to cultural resources.
1: And how would you define a cultural resource? Cultural
4: resources uh, related to people. So uh, it's historic, most mostly people think of historic resources as cultural resources. So a historic building, uh, an archaeological site, but it also might be something that has value to over a long period of time to people, such as an ethnographic resource. So. You know, think about culture, think about society, and things that are valued by that by a culture would be a mm-hmm. cultural resource. So, in most cases, people think of historic buildings mm-hmm. uh, or historic objects, um, and there's certainly plenty of those uh, in the Allagash. So, when um, when I responded to the question of would you like to do a interpretive plan focused on cultural resources, my response was, "What do we know about the cultural resources?" And the answer was, "Uh, hmm. Well, uh, hmm. Uh, there's a lot." And so uh, what we did was a two-year project where the first phase was to do an assessment of cultural resources, and this is not uh, really an inventory or an on-the-ground kind of, I didn't go to every single place in the Alagash, but rather just tried to corral existing information about what, what people already knew, either written down or um, knowledgeable folks, there were so many people passionate about the Allagash, just collected all what was known in one place, mm. and then used that information as the basis Uh, for developing a a plan to tell the stories of the Allagash, not only the cultural and historic resources, but also the natural resources, of which they're more generally known in the Allagash. Although I will say that one of the recommendations is to do a natural resource assessment as well, because there's not a lot of documentation about the specifics of the natural resources. Mm.
1: What I saw in the uh, initial phase was just, as you say, putting all of the information that you could find in one place. Right. And so that's going to serve um, not only the, the managers of, of the resource, but also historians and others who would like to write about it or to study it or to do their own kind of work. So if you, I can imagine someone who is a, a, a wilderness guide um, wants to, to find some good information, they're going to be able to go to that, that set of uh, documents.
3: Uh, exactly. And, and I think it's probably important to point out that there's a pra- there's a practical reason why we um, got into into this uh, project, when we did, uh, when we established the foundation, we established at the same time a, a regular uh, dialogue and communication with the bureau and department staff, um, as a way of trying to identify the best priorities for the foundation mm-hmm. with respect to the needs uh, of the of the waterway. And uh, it was probably in our third year of operation that we got a long list from the current superintendent, Matt LaRoche. It was over 10. or it was a dozen things on the list. And it it was adding up to some money. And uh, it was a good thing that we had some experienced planners on our board because then the question came, how do we establish priorities of this list? And it was Bob McIntosh who'd spent – Uh, his career in the national park service who said, well, ordinarily (laughs) we'd have an interpretive plan that would help us make this, uh, make these decisions. And so we stepped back from the work Mm -hmm. at that time Mm -hmm. and from the project oriented work to say, let's take a bit of a breather while we, um, get a better understanding Mm -hmm. ourselves and, um, allow others to be involved as well so that we can, um, then go back to that list of projects and say, well, this is priority
1: number one or two or three. Sure. I'll just remind listeners that they're tuned to Talk of the Towns. We're talking about storied lands and waters of the Allegash Wilderness Waterway. In the studio with us, we have the author of that report, Bruce Jacobson, along with Don, Don Hudson, a board member of the Allegash Wilderness Waterway Foundation, and Cindy Basty of the Bureau of Public Lands. Uh, Cindy, how how did, did the, the Bureau kind of look at this inventory process, this early assessment process? Well,
2: it it... It's an incredible resource for us. I mean, those of us who've worked in the office are aware, and and, pe- and earlier staff are aware of, of some of these resources, but this was the first comprehensive look and mm-hmm. listing mm. of them. And as well, there is a um, bibliography that Bruce put together, mm. and both of those things are going to, going to advantage research, scholarly research, in the future, mm. so
1: Bruce, you were you went everywhere to find these resources. Tell us about some of the interesting kind of surprises, perhaps, and where some of these resources were located, and who had them, and and what do you remember about that early stage?
4: Well, I guess that uh, I went to all the obvious places, and certainly the internet has been a great help uh, because we can now go to. Um, you know, uh, scholar.google.com and find so many resources mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. actually in their complete uh, entity on, online. But I guess the um, kind of the most rewarding part was um, running into folks uh, like Mel Pelletier, who's on the advisory council, uh, who's, uh, you know, third generation uh, inland fisheries and wildlife rangers, or uh, uh, warden, sorry, uh, in his family. And so his own personal collection was quite useful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was very willing to share it. Uh, and uh, also, I also went to all the local libraries, local historical societies in, in the St. John Valley as well as uh, in, in the area around the Allagash. Uh, and so I say the most rewarding part was talking with the folks who have lived the Allagash <clears throat> and so had their own memories, but also had their own private collections of of, uh, of memorabilia and articles and just their own knowledge of the Allagash. So that, I think that was one of the most useful um, uh, your sources, but of course, they also went to uh, the Boston Athenaeum, and uh, you know there 's resources uh, all over the place, so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was very helpful
1: so you know we we know uh, the history of the Allagash Thoreau was an early visitor, um, um, a Native American guide, um, and, and a couple of different visits up that way, so some of that is is good material. Um, were there any other particular things that um, said oh i didn 't know this existed'
4: Well, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a coastal uh, kind of person in terms of my own personal experience and professional experience. And so I think the, the surprises were, guy um, guess I had two surprises. One was uh, that I ran into so many folks uh, through my professional experience along the coast who had intimate knowledge and experience in the Allagash. In fact, I was walking down the street in Bar Harbor Uh, last week and someone stopped me on the street and said, wait a minute, aren't you Bruce Jacobson? Because I've been reading that report and you know it was uh, uh, Mm -hmm. someone who just was so enthralled by having all the information in one place. Mm -hmm. I guess I would also caution, however, that I'm not a historian Mm -hmm. and this is not a history of the Allagash. Uh, It really just sets the stage, as as Cindy mentioned, for others who might want to come along and do a rigorous uh, review of all the resources. What I simply did was collect what people told me. Right so I didn't do an analysis of the accuracy or the any, any analysis of the historical context of all of these resources. Um, I, I will digress for one moment though and say that in in addition to inventorying the cultural resources, I also did an assessment so I then kind of looked at the significance and integrity of all these resources to give the bureau and the foundation some kind of a, of a handle on well. If we have limited resources, both time and money, where, what are the most important things that we should focus on? So that's the assessment part mm-hmm. of the cultural resource assessment. So finding all these folks along the coast who, uh, like you, Ron, mm-hmm. uh, who have been to the Allagash and are passionate about it. Um, and I guess the other thing that, uh, that I was sh- uh, impressed by, in addition to just the resource up in the Allagash, was that uh, the, uh, the Allagash was created as a wilderness waterway. And so in the early days, the idea was to restore the wilderness. And that's kind of a typical attitude of, say, the 1970s. Look at Acadia National Park. Mm-hmm. At Acadia National Park, all of the carriage roads were allowed to grow in because we needed to make them natural. Um, and that was really a trend within, I would say, conservation in general and certainly within the National Park Service. Um, and I think over time... And so and so in the Allagash, you know, some of the conflict that uh, has been referred to was about, you know, burning of buildings and removal of camps. And was that a good thing? And no, it was a good thing. No, it wasn't a good thing. Um, and so I think that this change uh, overall within conservation in general, as well as within management of the Allagash, is that this is, this is also a cultural resource. It's mm. a natural and a cultural resource. So the
1: story of those buildings that p- some people said, oh, that isn't true wilderness. The story of those buildings are a story of the place. And the, it's the story of the place that you're interested in in at least protecting so that we know that story and then interpreting it in some way. Right. That's right. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And, and as I looked at the Allagash, I guess I was surprised to find that it is, at least in my knowledge and experience, probably the best place in Maine where the story of lumbering logging Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, can be told. At least the, the the only place that I know of that's open to the public where there are so many natural and cultural resources that can tell that story of logging in Maine.
1: Mm. Let's come back to that after short break. I think that the station is going to do some, some business because we're in the fun drive for, for WERU. We're sp- especially looking for new members, those of you who might be listening but haven't contributed financially. That's the kind of folks that we're hoping will sign up, and I think we're going to go to a, a little commercial, non-commercial commercial break right now.
0: That's right, a, a non-commercial commercial break here, too. Let people know that this is our pledge drive, in case you've forgotten in the last half hour. Share some information about a really great drawing we're going to be having in a half an hour. And also, just try to get you involved with supporting this great programming. 1-800-643-6273 or 469-6600 to make a pledge. I'm Amy Brown here with Matt Murphy. Matt, you have some information about the giveaway that we're going to be doing at 11.
5: Yes, at 11 we're going to be doing a drawing for uh, the book, uh, America, the Farewell Tour, and that's by Chris Hedges, and uh, it's a great, great, great book. Um, it's going to be uh, drawn at the, at 11 o'clock. Uh,
0: yeah, so you just have this half hour. You just have this to half hour. Calls, so do it now.
5: Yes, and uh, you can also see uh, Chris Hedges live at the Bagaduce Music Lending Library on Saturday night at 7. It's an event co-sponsored by uh, Americans Who Tell the Truth, Blue Hill Books, and WERU. Uh, but get a jump on that.
0: Several peace yeah, and justice groups. Several peace and justice groups. He's justice very popular. Groups. He's a Pulitzer Prize-winning reporter. He, you've, you've heard of him. You've heard him on Democracy Now! He was here about 10 years ago. Uh, this book is his latest book. He's on a book tour. If you want to be one of the first kids on the block to have a copy of this book, definitely call now and get your name in the watering can. Make a pledge if you can, or if you've made a pledge already, just get your name in the watering can.
5: And support local public affairs programming right. on WERU. There's so much great programming by so put together by volunteers who are really dedicated like Ron. And, uh, you know, we really want your support to make that programming continue and keep coming for you and at you.
0: Right. I've been talking all week about the whole idea that the media is the enemy of the people, which I know our listeners do not agree with, I I imagine 99.9% of them do not agree with that. No, in fact,
5: uh, I I think WERU is a really good friend and compatriot, friend (laughs) friend of the people and compatriot of the people.
0: And so I just want to talk about some of what Ron's done with his local coverage, getting local people on the airwaves here in this area to talk about the important local work they're doing. And just looking back at his last couple of shows, last month in July, he did a program looking back at Maine's 2018 legislative session. He had a Republican, a Democrat, and a Green Independent on the show. Uh, the month before, or in May, he had a, a program about electric vehicle charging stations on their way. In April, he had a conversation with Douglas Rooks on the rise, decline, and renewal of the Democratic Party in Maine. His new book. Uh, before that, in uh, March, he had a show on making Ellsworth a model green community, and in February, one on farms and food systems. A work of the Maine Farmland Trust. I mean, these are all important things that are happening right here in our backyard, and that's just his last five shows. So you rely on Talk of the Talents. It's one of our oldest public affairs programs. Call in, show some support to Ron Beard for all the work he puts into this by calling 469 6600 or 1 800 643 6273 and do it right now. And you'll get your name in the watering can for this Chris Hedges book just hot off the presses.
5: You know, Talk of the Towns is really emblematic of all the great public affairs programming covering all kinds of important local issues. So make that call, 800-643-6273. You can be in the drawing if you're a sustaining member and you've already given, you give every month. Or uh, if you've already given or you don't have to give to be in the drawing.
0: That's right right just get your name in the watering can but we really hope we'll uh, we've met our uh, financial goal we've actually yes. exceeded that already so thank you very much yes
5: 17,099 dollars have been raised
0: pledges in any amount still are important we set the goals low we need more money
5: and new members and we have 33 and, new members to go to reach the goal
0: right and federal funding is always in question and we definitely need those new members so 469 or 1-800-643-6273. Matt, you?
5: I just want to say thank you to everyone. Yes,
0: thank you very much. We're going to send it back over to the studio and Ron Beard. So keep those phones, get those phones ringing. I, I can't see right from here if any are ringing or not. If they are and you're having a hard time getting through, keep trying. Get your name in the watering can. We'll have a drawing at 11 for this book. 469 or 1-800-643-6273. Back over to Ron.
1: Thanks, Matt and Amy. Boy, you guys talk fast. That was a great. Appreciate all the support that our listeners give this show and, and all of the shows, music or public affairs. It's really important. So we're talking with um, Bruce Jacobson, a planning consultant and author of a report called Storied Lands and Waters of the Allagash Wilderness Waterway, and Cindy Bastie of the Bureau of Public Lands in the Maine Department of Agriculture, Conservation, and Forestry, and Don Hudson, who is a board member of the Allagash Wilderness Waterway Foundation. We're talking about um, a report that was uh, just um, completed and is is so we'll make sure we list how people can get a copy of that report or, or read it online. Um, but we were talking about some of the cultural and historical resources. Um, Bruce, you were saying a little bit about the, the, the story of, of how we practice forestry in the state of Maine. Are there particular um, elements of the, the Allagash that you've um, seen or chronicled that uh, stand out for you?
4: Well, I guess first we'd have to say there's forest. Uh, which remains, uh, it's not the same species composition as perhaps it was in 1800. But there's still a forest, and so that's an, and and uh, the Allagash is surrounded by an active uh, working forest. Um, right. It's important to note that the Allagash is a thin ribbon of protected land that goes along the river, uh, but there's a working forest behind that. So we still have uh, f- uh, active forestry and logging uh, being uh, taking place there, mm-hmm. um, but. In terms of the history, uh, there's also uh, structures that remain that were developed uh, to enhance uh, logging. So there's dams uh, that are in similar locations, and some of them are uh, the one that Cindy mentioned, Lock Dam, uh, has been there a long time. There's also uh, many buildings, uh, such as a storehouse that was used to supply all of the lumber camps. Uh, That's at Churchill Depot. Uh, there uh, is a boarding house also at Churchill Depot which uh, was to house workers. Um, so there's a lot of structures. There's camps um, that are, remain from um, the uh, sporting camp um, which was kind of associated mm-hmm. with that time. Mm-hmm. So, so you take all of that together, uh, the forest, uh, the land, uh, and the structures that are there plus the documented history.
1: Mm. And remnants. Um, so when I go to the Allagash, if, if there's someone new that hasn't been on the Allagash before, we always take a, a detour at um, Eagle Lake to visit the, the locomotives. And somebody, Don, tell us a little bit about why those locomotives are there. I mean, it's a, an amazing sight.
3: Yeah, I think actually it was a relatively um, Bruce can can help me here, uh, but it was a relatively short period that a railroad operated. Sure. <clears throat> and, the, and the railroad operated to move wood as quickly as was possible during the winter, primarily um, south mm-hmm. uh, to mills in uh, Millinocket, primarily.
4: Primarily pulp.
3: Yeah. And, and uh, four foot long uh, logs that were used as pulp. And an elaborate system was created to to uh to move that wood on our on a railroad mm-hmm. uh and it uh, I can't remember the exact no. year that was the last year, but it was in the 1920s I believe uh and the engines were left right and uh before the uh waterway was created, they were left in a barn uh-huh. and they were in immaculate condition, and one of the sore points for at least one of our listeners <laughs> was the burning of the barn sure. and then the and then the deterioration of those engines and um and that's illustrative uh, i think of bruce's earlier point that that um it's good to have these kinds of reports and plans to try to see if we can find common ground Mm. in how to interpret resources as opposed to unilaterally moving in one direction or another Mm. direction Mm. um when there is such a wonderful story to tell, mm-hmm. there's a tramway associated with those engines mm-hmm. uh, that operated with its own power, under its own power, uh, with an engine on the shore of uh, Chamberlain Lake, mm-hmm. and uh, I, we can't go into all the details. But that's just one part of a very interesting story about um, getting that wood from. Uh, the middle of the very north woods, uh, to mills as far south as Bangor. Sure.
1: And then, um, Bruce, you do a little bit of work in terms of the, the archaeological um, resources. Many of the campsites that I might use or any of us might use on the on the waterway probably have been used before white people came to the area because they were located in a place where there was a stream or there was fresh water and access to, to the, the waterway itself.
4: That's generally true. There is particularly one uh, site that probably has been used for thousands of years But when the dams were built, uh, it raised the water level to submerge many of the um, uh, ancient archaeological resources. So much of the Native American history is now underwater. Um, And Arthur Spees at the um, Maine Historic Preservation Commission has been very involved in this project, very helpful. And he points out that because of the flooding – um, many of the Native American archaeological remains uh, are probably not that useful because mm-hmm. they're pretty well lo- waterlogged. Mm-hmm. But you're right, there are still some places, um, a good place that's camped today, a good place to camp today mm-hmm. has always been a good place. Right. Sure, um, so sure. yes, some of those places, long time.
1: So you've, you've got the assessment, you've, you've kind of done the, the homework. Um, how did that turn into then some recommendations? How did you derive um, the recommendations that come out of the, the plan?
4: Well, for the cultural in that, and historical resources, uh, I just went to kind of the the, the common uh, mechanisms that are used in in conservation, which is to look at the significance and the integrity mm-hmm. um, and so then I ranked uh, the various resources um, but then, uh, for the interpretive plan, uh, it was you know what are the compelling stories here, uh, and of course it 's important that we can't tell everything Um, one of the things that um, that I am uh, always conscious of when I go to a historic site or a park or a nature center is that person who is so passionate wants to tell me every single thing about that place Um, and so one of our first tasks in fact Cindy was on the committee that um, we had a team together to think about well you know we can't tell every story so what are the kind of the overarching themes and what are the most important stories for us to tell Hmm. so that was uh that was our first task at kindem to, to uh mold the interpretive plan.
1: Okay. I'm going to uh, invite our listeners to call um, in with their questions or their comments. Give us a call at 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-9378 as we talk about storied lands and waters of the Allegash Wilderness Waterway. So one of the recommendations is for something called an Allegash Explorer who wants to pick up the story there. Don, can you tell oh, us a little yeah, bit about I, that?
3: I can, and this is an easy one for the Foundation to to, uh, to pick up uh, it won't be too expensive to develop um, we're not going to have um, standing uh, informational panels and kiosks like w- in the waterway, see, like right, you might see at places, a right. typical park or, right. a, or a roadside turnout uh, and so we need to bring those stories into some format 20 years ago you would have only thought of having a pocket guide so the Allagash Explorer will exist as a pocket guide that individuals or groups can carry with them. But it will also be tied um, to a website shared with the, with the, with the waterway uh, uh, that will um, serve, if you will, as the library of all of hmm. the resources and uh, and uh, allowing the reader to dive a little deeper than the information that could be found just in the guide. Mm. And who knows, it'll probably be an app on your telephone as mm-hmm. well. You're not going to get any cell service
1: right. if you bring your cell phone <laughs>
3: on the Allegash. So now. you'd have to have a backup battery. Uh, but it'll probably exist in that format as well, just given the the way that um, information is shared these days. Uh, we're not sure exactly what the final cost of that will be, but uh, we're confident that within the next year or so, it'll be available for for visitors and travelers. Mm
4: -hmm. And I think uh, Don raises an interesting point that as I said, we needed to s- focus the story. And um, the the major theme is that the Allagash is a wild place. Mm. And so, th- hence, not a lot of s- new structures will be built for interpretation. Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So it's a wild place, and it's and it's also a, a well-used place. And so both of those things are interesting kind of concepts. To, to It was designated as a wilderness waterway, but it, it's in the context of a working forest.
4: So, in fact, our major theme is that the Allagash is a wild place. Place where flowing waters reflect centuries of life, work, and travel in Maine's North Woods. It is a place set aside for all.
1: Mm-hmm. So, Cindy, what will you, as uh, in the bureau, kind of take from this? What um, Don mentioned one aspect that he may take in, in the foundation um, uh, partnership. What might you be taking um, specifically from the, the study?
2: Well, we're, we've discussed with the foundation um, the priorities to come out of some mm-hmm. of this, and and the Bureau agrees that the Explorer or the web portal mm-hmm. is is on the top of the list because we've been wanting for years to do this interpretive work, and now we have a vehicle that fits the situation in that it is portable on the person and not... On the landscape, you don't
1: have to maintain a sign.
2: <laughs> that's right, right. That's right. But yet, we're giving people more information mm-hmm. and more ways to enjoy the mm-hmm. waterway by mm-hmm. hearing some of the stories that mm-hmm. are there to be told. Mm-hmm. Who's using the allegash now, and,
1: and how will
2: they? You know, do we have a sense
1: of of the kind of users? You said that there's been a slow um, decline in the overall uh, people who are canoeing the whole thing. Um, but those st- folks are still there there's still recreational groups that go up or uh, um, conservation education projects going up who's using the waterway now
2: that's that's pretty accurate still we had um, its use is measured in user days we had 33,000 plus uh-huh. user days in 2017 um, that that really comes out of about 4,000 individuals and 1,000 parties. Um, earlier research done by John Daigle at the university, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm going back to 2003 now, but most of those parties were adults with at least one child. Mm. Um, most of uh, the highest visitation is by Maine residents um, and fewer out-of-state residents. Large groups, well, group size is limited to 12. There are some groups that are larger who have been grandfathered, so to speak, mm-hmm. from earlier days. Mm-hmm. Um, but there the are relatively few of those. Mm-hmm. But that's a bit of a profile. Good. We're trying to get the funds now to update that survey. Right. So um,
1: part of interpretation is helping people understand it so they can vote their tax dollars mm-hmm. and their things to support it. Is that right?
4: Bruce. Well, that certainly is always a uh, at least one part, one motive. Your work of in the National Park Service right. would
1: be be similar that you people need to experience something in order to care about
4: it. Right, uh, and so I would say that uh, certainly the. The motivating force uh, is t- to provide understanding. But certainly, as you say, through that understanding comes uh, comes uh, appreciation, and hopefully through appreciation comes advocacy.
1: Mm. And, and Don, the foundation is really trying to tap that appreciation piece. Yes. You know, trying to uh, get people who love the, the waterway to participate as a friends group to, to support yeah, and, that work. Yeah, and
3: every year we have a little bit better success. Mm. Um, I, I used to joke with people that because of that, Period of of a lot of arguing and conflict. Um, a lot of people, um, uh, although they love to go there, don't want to talk about it mm-hmm. and and you know step away from any conversation at least initially. And so I think that we're we're starting to turn the corner there. And uh, I would say the users. I was just up in the waterway for a brief period last week and uh, at at uh, Churchill Depot. Uh, There were two women paddlers from Vermont and New York who were section paddling the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. There was a family group, a combined family group from Massachusetts and New Hampshire, camped uh, and mostly fishing, camped on Eagle Lake and mostly fishing. Uh, And uh, there was another family group from St. John Valley that was uh, launching for a short (laughs) several-day trip uh, Mm -hmm. back down (laughs) to Allagash, Mm -hmm. um, led by a guide. Uh, so that's probably a pretty the the only group that I would have missed at this time of the year that's certainly there would be a summer camp group. Okay, so that's a good cross section of who's there. Mm-hmm. A few people who are there to stay in one place and and. Relax and fish, mm-hmm. and then through paddlers. Right. So uh, you
1: mentioned the Northern Forest Canoe Trail. That's a relatively new um, kind of uh, s- system. <laughs> it's based on the Native American use of exactly. uh, that waterway. But exactly. in terms of people doing this, I I frequently f- see people who are doing the right. whole thing from right. New York all uh, the way to uh, yeah. A lot of new Port people. Kent. A
3: lot of a lot of new paddlers. the The waterway saw its greatest use in the seventies. Um, paddlers tend to hear about a new place to go paddlers in north america and around the world and they go there Mm. and then they never go back again Mm -hmm. so there were people paddling the allagash who paddled it once in Mm. the 1970s and went on to some new mm-hmm. wild river to conquer. Mm-hmm. And, and then there are those of us who just can't get enough of it, mm-hmm. and I know you're one, <laughs> who keep going back year after year after year. And I think we're settled into that uh, use by the regular users. We're passing on our love for the place to the next generation. And uh, yes, the Allagash Wilderness Waterway really anchors at the north end is one-seventh of a 740-mile-long trail that's knit together from native routes uh, that uh, were all put on one map. And, and a couple of people said, Jesus, is there a way, you know, can we find a way through, not using every single one of these routes, but uh, picking and choosing um, and,
1: and get from Old Forge, New York, all the way to Fort Kent, Maine. Yes,
3: what? that that's brought some
1: new visitors to right. the waterway. one 625 9378 if you'd like to comment on um, the Allegash Wilderness Waterway. Bruce, what else did you um, have in the report that you want to uh, highlight um, in terms of recommendations or things to that we all ought to be paying attention to?
4: Well, I think that uh, the it's important to point out that interpretive plan. There's, There's really three parts to this report First is just a general introduction to the Allagash. Second is the cultural resource assessment. And then third is the interpretive plan. And it's important to point out that even though we're focused on cultural resources today, that the natural resources, uh, you know, none of this would occur. Um, None of these people would be going on the Allagash. Uh, The cultural resources wouldn't be there if there weren't the natural resources. Mm -hmm. So there's the river itself uh, and the surrounding forests. So I think that's really uh, important to recognize that, if we're telling the story of, of the Alagash, we have to talk about um, the entire uh, environment, both so the natural sh- and the cultural. So
1: going to geology, I suppose? Um,
4: Certainly. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also the wildlife that's there. One of the uh, – in that study that Cindy mentioned in 2003, it was 90% plus of uh, visitors saw moose. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, seeing moose, eagle, loons – um, and just the water itself uh, are an important part of, of a trip on the Allagash, and it's also an important part of the story. Um, and so I think, you know, telling the story, is, as Don said, how do we, in, if we're in a wilderness area, even though it may not meet the definition of a federal wilderness, it's still uh, the wilderness character is what's important there, how do we tell that story without um, any structures uh, in the landscape? And so there, uh, the staff of the... Well, b- b- waterway, excuse me. Uh have gathered many of those objects that were laying around when they were when they quit logging, um they weren't quite sure if they were coming back next season or not. So often they would leave a cache of tools in the woods because they knew where they were and they would come find mm-hmm. them next year. So some of those caches were still left in the woods. As Don mentioned, the locomotives were abandoned. The think about bringing two steam locomotives into the wilderness, um, which it was at that time. Uh and they had to bring them in in pieces. And so it was just not cost effective to take them back out again. And I think it was 1930 or 31, Don, yeah. that uh, that they abandoned them there. Um, so, so the staff has collected many of those objects that can be moved and put them into the storehouse at Churchill Depot. So one of the recommendations uh, in the plan is to m- formalize that kind of collection around the th- interpretive themes that we've developed. Um, so that would be um, kind of an interpretive center at the, at the Churchill Depot at the storehouse. Um, also, um, interpreting some of the other structures that are still there. So the boarding house, which is where um, staff uh, lived um, during the Churchill Depot days, um, and also there's a one uh, camp that is still standing uh, that could be used to interpret uh, the whole story of of
1: um, of, of, of camps. Re- Recreational right. camps right. you're talking about. Right. Guide, right. guide camps. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so the, the, the notion is that um, they'll have a few places that they can visit with some interpretation, what we call traditional interpretation for, right. for um, uh, historic places, but then this um, Allagash Explorer, right. this notion that's a, a pocket guide.
4: And another part uh, that we haven't mentioned yet is that uh, in addition, we want uh, educators to be able to use these uh, resources. And so we've developed uh, kind of as an uh, ancillary to the interpretive plan, we developed 10 lesson plans uh, that use these same themes and focused on these same resources that teachers can use, uh, well, educators of all kinds, whether they be a camp leader or uh, an in-class teacher. And we had a team put together to write these 10 different uh, sample lesson Mm, plans that we hope – educators will will take and use mm,
1: mm. so the notion is that that uh, we'll be expanding who knows about the allagash will help um, the department kind of understand the department of conservation and, and the bureau understand what are some of the priorities and that also fi- figures into the the foundation are there other things that that will be kind of uh, wish list that, that you hope will happen as a result of of this report uh, well the the foundation hopes that the that the uh,
3: elements proposed in the education plan um, could be further developed, mm-hmm. which would uh, deepen the the relationship between the waterway. And I I would say, for lack of a better way to put it, the gateway communities to the waterway. There's three mm-hmm. central – there's three places through which you generally go mm. to get to the Alleyash. You either go through Greenville, you go through Millinocket, or you go through – uh, Fort Kent, Ashland, Fort mm-hmm. Kent, that area. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, four or five years ago, we set out um, to see if we could support getting young people from those communities onto the waterway mm. as a way to introduce it to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, the next steps that are in the plan for deepening that ex- classroom experience related to those opportunities uh, would be a great thing for us to follow up with. It's it's uh, it, it's not going to be inexpensive to do. Mm. It requires a lot of uh, training on the part of teachers and convening of teachers um, for several weeks at a time, which which uh, is not inexpensive but very important to do. Um, and I'm confident that in a few years we'll get that off the ground. Otherwise, we we will meet uh, as we have in the past uh, a couple of times a year with the bureau to say where are we on on these. Uh, where, where where are we mm-hmm. in in our progress through this, through these recommendations, and do we need to readjust the priorities?
1: Um, so, where do people get um, access to this report? Because it's not only a report for the bureau and, and the foundation, but it's a, it's a really great document for anybody that's interested in the Allegash.
4: So, it is available at the Maine State Library uh, website, uh, and you can download the entire copy there. The Allegash Wilderness Waterway Foundation, which is aww.org, uh, has a link to that uh, Maine State Library site. Um, you can also go to brucejacobson.com and get download a copy. And on my website, there's also a link to um, purchase a printed copy which is actually at Amazon.com. Mm. Mm. Uh, so you could go to Amazon and search for storied lands and waters of the Allagash Wilderness Waterway, uh, and for $7.25, uh, it could be yours. It's a bargain. It is. <laughs> In fact, I was just looking recently. We've made, a, we've made $0.33 cents, uh, on, on uh, commissions on this so far.
1: <laughs> That's great. <laughs> um, Cindy, what are your hopes um, as, you, as you go forward? I'll give each of you kind of the what-are-your-hopes kind of uh, question. In the last well, of my
2: my hopes would be that that um, that we continue to build this relationship with the foundation that allows us to look at this menu of possibilities mm. and and things that we can do over time and make those choices and and move ahead with it. Mm-hmm.
1: Bruce, what's your hope as the author of the report? Well, it's already
4: been expressed that uh, that these recommendations are being taken seriously. Mm. So that's uh, as a planner, that's our our kind of fundamental hope is that the plan does not sit on the shelf. So um, I think the going forward with the Allagash Explorer, working with the teachers and working on a few of the key structures that are identified as needing help would be my hope.
3: And Don, Don Hudson? Well, uh, I think my hope is that uh, this work uh, will inspire young people in the state and outside the state to come to the Allagash and Mm -hmm. to enjoy it and to love
1: it. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you all for being with us this morning on Talk of the Towns. Um, We've come to the end of the hour. Be sure and join us from 10 to 11 on the second Friday morning of each month for Talk of the Towns. Podcasts of our programs can be found in the archive section of the WERU website. And we'll also post some of the resources for this show there. If you have comments or suggestions for topics, please email us at news at weru.org. And tune into our companion program, Coastal Conversations, with Natalie Springle of University of Maine Sea Grant, 10 to 11, on the fourth Friday of each month. Our theme music is a medley from Coronach on a Balmain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guests in the studio, Bruce Jacobson, a planning consultant, Don Hudson, board member of the Allagash Wilderness Waterway Foundation, and Cindy Bastie of the Bureau of Public Lands. Thanks to um, our underwriters, thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program, and stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning.